Welcome to uh, this version of our podcast, What's the Score? Let me remind you that if you enjoy today's podcast, or any of our podcasts for that matter, to please press the like button on whatever format you're listening to the podcast on. Also consider supporting us by uh, joining us on patreon.com and show your support for the program that way. There'll be details to follow in the middle of the podcast. Once again, thanks for listening and enjoy today's terrific interview as well as some amazing film music. Today's program made possible by patrons like you. Welcome to where we celebrate music from the movies. From the golden age to present day, we've got it all covered. We talk to those in the entertainment industry and find out about their favorite scores. You found the podcast, What's the Score? I'm your host, Frank R. Wilson. So sit back, relax, grab a popcorn, and let's see what we'll be hearing today. Recognize that music? It's a favorite of our guest today. Now, this assistant director has worked on features, shorts, TV, commercials, and so much more. His films can be seen on various streaming services, cable channels, and cinemas. Now, he's been a producer as well, and also production director of the Louisiana International Film Festival in Baton Rouge, which is where we connected several years ago. So please join me in welcoming my friend Jason Allen to the program. Hi, Jason. So great to reconnect with you, Frank, and to chat with you about movies and music. And and uh, I just thank you for having me. Oh no, my my pleasure. And 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 look, my introduction doesn't do justice to all the work that you've done. But I'm going to encourage people to look look you up on IMDb, and uh, the, and we'll talk more about that later. But it's obvious that you've uh, you've been a very busy man with a lot of your work that you're doing. Um, as my listeners know, usually the way we like to start off is I, I like to learn more about the person, if you will, not so much your career and those sorts of things, but, you know, growing up and family and you know, hobbies and schooling and, you know, things like that. So if you wouldn't mind, maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Frank. Uh, I I believe that what you're referring to when it comes to maybe the, the, the long list of things that I've done in uh, my career as a, as a first assistant director, um, it just uh, beams with passion. And I think that's where I come from. I come from a very passionate family. I'm, uh, I'm the oldest of two sons. And I grew up 
in San Diego and Tucson, Arizona, before moving to Bismarck, North Dakota, which is where my Yikes. mother was originally from. So, so I had I had uh, quite a journey from south to north, and and in all in all the passion that I, I kind of carried through that journey, it, it it was very rooted in uh, in in the arts. It was rooted in cinema. It was rooted in theater and music, and uh, that's kind of how I grew up. And it kind of uh, propelled me to uh, Los Angeles, where I was to go to college and 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 start start a career in, in motion pictures and television, which is what I, I kind of I, I I I did. So that that's kind of where I, I I guess I come from, and I and that I'm kind of truly passionate about everything I do. I'm passionate about my family. Uh, we we live uh, in Los, the Los Angeles area. And uh, my my wife, who's my best friend of like twenty years, uh, we share four kids, two boys and two girls. Wow. What was that? And I don't know if you were old enough to remember, but I'm curious. What what was that transition like of moving from Southern California to North Dakota? I mean, that sounds like that's a big culture shock. It is, but I feel like uh, Bismarck, North Dakota, and the the roots that I gained there and I, I still have them. My family, my, my parents and my brother and my stepsisters, they all, they all still live in, in Bismarck, North Dakota. So I have been very well rooted in that. And, and it's, it just, it's interesting. I think when you come from passionate roots, uh, my, my family is also Lebanese. My mom is okay. full Lebanese. My dad was, was half Lebanese. Um, we're, we're rooted in family and culture. So I have extended family in Los Angeles. I'm really blessed that we can share my dad's cousins, my mom's cousins. And uh, I've always felt very rooted and connected. And it actually all goes back to North Dakota. Huh? It, it does. So it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting thing uh, <laughs> to be, uh, well, so proud of my, uh, my home state, even though I've lived in Los Angeles for 26 years, which is over half my life. And, and that's the longest I've lived anywhere, basically. So, um, you know, I take great pride in that too. Uh, I think we live in a great shining city, city of angels. <laughs> it's not, it's not always pretty out here, but uh, it is the, it's the, uh, it's the center of, of the film and television industry and the media industry. So, it's great. It is. And then, and then I, and then I, you know, venture off and have more journeys to various places to make movies um, pretty much all over the world. And, and uh, so, so I, I've, I've taken a lot of pride in that. And, and, and then in sharing that, sharing family and culture, sharing it with my family and culture, when you, when you travel, when you, you know, experience local crews, other places and you connect with them and you uh, bring, Again, kind of passionate roots to uh, making movies, Frank. That's what we do. Yeah. And that's, that's what was so great about the Louisiana International Film Festival and mentorship program, which ran from 2013 through 2018, 19. Like it, it, yeah, it, I think so. Yep. Uh, and and it, was, it was a really strong first five years of a, of a film festival that was four days right in the heart of Louisiana, Baton Rouge, the capital, connected uh, Perkins Row and the community. 
LSU. Uh, it had it had a real deep roots in in the South, but also expanded beyond into international cinema, foreign cinema. Yeah. And I was I was not only proud to kind of run all the logistics and the scheduling and the coordination with uh, basically the screenings, the mentorship program itself, and the and then the events and and the parties. So we would we would you know. Uh, manage all of those things and put them together for for five years. And uh, yeah, it was great. It was a really great time. Uh, so, uh, you know, we, we're really, I'm really proud of the work we did there and and the people we connected with in, in Louisiana. Um, but I, I don't know, it just, it gets back to that, that passionate roots that we share, you know, that we have. So... Yeah, no, no, exactly, and and uh, uh, and Louisiana still has a very strong film industry here. I mean, we, there's been a little, you know, during COVID, obviously there was a bit of a pause. Right now, apparently, there's a little bit of a pause, but there's still an awful lot of uh, uh, there's a lot of strength in the industry here right now. Still, absolutely, uh, even, and even, I, I even love, after I the- love working there, and I love the people there. That that's to me where where we we all connect. I. I connected particularly with people in Louisiana uh, because of the music. I've, I've made <laughs> made fast friends with piano players that played Bourbon Street and Jean Lafitte's Blacksmith Shop, the oldest bar in the country. It's one of my favorite places. <laughs> bar for music, yeah, love. So that's in New Orleans, and then in Baton Rouge, of course, we would always turn it up at Perkins uh, Perkins Row. They've got, yeah. they've got great facility and grounds and place to hold events and connects uh, amazing, you know, restaurants, vendors, the movie theater itself is fantastic. The architecture in yeah. the courtyard. So, I mean, I've got, I've got a lot of heart in, in Louisiana. So yeah, that's, and that's we'll terrific. Here. We'll be coming back soon, Frank. We'll be seeing each other. I hope so. I hope so. It was, it was, you it was, you're in Los Angeles. If I'm here, if I'm not off, Somewhere else, um, I would definitely uh, host you and show, show you a great city. Right now, it's raining. Right now, it's uh, drizzling. Wow, yeah. that's like that's like major news right there. <laughs> it's been raining. It's been raining a lot, Frank. I mean, I would say, you know, in the times that I spent in springtime, Baton Rouge, uh, maybe even more, maybe even more rain than what I experienced there. True. It. Um... Yeah, I mean, I mean, I watch the news too, and hopefully, that's kind of helping put a dent in the horrible drought you guys have experienced. Well, I, I tell you what, let's let's get into some of the music because I love the choices um, that you provided to me today that you wanted to play. Um, Thank you. I, I I felt like in some way they were standard form in in movie music scores. I mean, just kind of the greats of the great. I mean, no, nothing you. wrong with that. I mean, you know, because we, we've had guests that, to be fair, have chosen some rather obscure cues and composers. That's fine. Yeah, I, I love getting exposed to all that. But you know what? But you've you know, for an old fart like me, you've chosen kind of like all the the really kind of classic composers and scores or things that I like. And so I'm excited to share these with the listeners today. Wonderful. The um, the the first one I wanted to share was uh, from uh, Indiana Jones, written by uh, obviously the maestro. Uh, John Williams, tell us a little bit about why you wanted to 
choose this particular cue uh, and share it amongst one of your favorites? Well, I mean, John Williams is by far the greatest, most prolific. I mean, just the most famous. I mean, he's the most known of the movie composers. He's the most award-winning of the movie composers. Um, he has an incredible body of work that spans generations and yeah. uh, evokes, you know, memories and emotions, uh, particularly of the movies that they, they scored. So for me, picking at least this this track from John Williams' vast library, I thought was appropriate. It, it certainly recurs a lot in our life, you know, and you kind of, it comes up even when you feel like you're facing that great challenge or that giant boulder about to chase you down um, as you're running with the idol. <laughs> um, all things considered, this theme, you know, means so much to us in our, in our life and our, our history. Um, needless to be said, Star Wars and, and that in itself clearly uh, would be, would be, I would say be on this list as well, but I, I wanted to go with Indiana Jones because it is such an iconic recurring um, theme that we hear that we hear. Oh yeah. The, the, you know, all you got to hear is a couple of notes and you, and you know, instantly, boom, I know what it is. So I know exactly what it uh, is. yeah, let's share it with our audience. And this is from the film, Indiana Jones, uh, 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 the original Raiders. I take it. All of it. Yeah. That's the thing. This is the main, the main theme of, of Indiana Jones. Okay. Very good then. And of course it's written by the maestro, John Williams.
Okay. Um, I mean, right. you, you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but I am curious. So how is it that you, uh, how is it that you got interested in film and in particular in film production? In other words, behind the camera versus in front of it. So at a very early age, I, I started acting. I, I started wanting to perform and, and be in, um, in stage and, and, and on screen. And, and so, uh, I mean, nine, 10, 10 years old, 10, 11 years old, I started going on auditions around Tucson, Arizona. Okay. Primarily for, you know, period or Western type movies that happened to be shooting in that area. Um, sometimes it was even, you know, like background talent type role. Um, but I did land like a local, video like a storytelling video and I was acting in that and I, I was playing a a baseball pitcher and and you could pretty much notice that I was not athletic at all but <laughs> apparently I delivered the look and the performance that they were going for and I had a, a, a voiceover and carried a narrative um, so I was acting um, I also worked in in like a local theater like I was in the Christmas Carol so I would I would <laughs> I would, I would act. I would, I would perform. I even got on uh, a Nickelodeon TV show, very early Nickelodeon TV show called Hey Dude. And, and so when, and they, they shot it in Tucson, Arizona. So getting a couple lines on a TV show that was known was very cool, but I started looking beyond that kind of, you know, we were, we were kind of waiting around a lot while, all the other people were working. So I was very interested in what went on behind the camera. So, you know, when, when it came time for, for me to kind of transition into my teenage years and, and gain really strong in- interest, photography comes up, uh, stage construction even came up, but like theater and stage construction video and, and early nonlinear video editing was prevalent at the time uh, in the early nineties. Um, and then I was kind of uprooted and I went to Bismarck, North Dakota. So, so, so it's at that point that now I'm coming a little bit more within myself. I felt a shyness that I, I had never felt before. I don't think I felt since, but I was, you know, reluctant to connect with people initially. And then, and I think I saw the great value in that. And I started doing high school theater as well. I was in the the band, which I carried through playing trumpet for about 14 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> through elementary, middle and high school. So I, I was, I was playing music. I was in theater. This was, this was my mode. I was not the athlete or the, uh, you know, uh, yeah, well, I, I, and I, th- so th- that's kind of the, the road I went down and I started making, um, I started making home, home videos, home movies, uh, telling stories with my friends and with my brother, um, so we would, you know, we would uh, make these movies and show them actually on our, our community access station. Oh, so, wow. Okay. Yeah. So making these movies and putting them out there to the community was also part of my, uh, my late teenage years. And, and then I, uh, I moved uh, to Los Angeles to go to college where I, <laughs> I went to Santa Monica College in UCLA uh, studying cinema, film and television, basically. All right. Well, there you go. And you, you reminded me of something that struck me the first time I worked on a, on a, on a few uh, film sets 
either as background or as a principal actor or whatever. It's, I couldn't, you're right. It's hurry up and wait when you're in that position, but everybody else around you, they're working their butts off. And, and, and it's amazing how much work goes into the detail for every single little shot, whether it's five seconds long or 30 seconds long or whatever. That was one of the things as, as an outsider. And I, I came into this late in life. I, I, I couldn't believe it. There's a lot of work that goes into j- just shooting a simple little scene. That, that's what, that's where the love is though, Frank, for me, the devil's in those details and the, and, and how we put everything together. Like it's a, like it's a puzzle. Um, I take, I take great pride in, in kind of evolving from, you know, finishing my thesis film out of UCLA, even developing a feature film. But as I leaned into being an assistant director and, and was working my three out, way, way through on, on the uh, direct, uh, you know, the director's team basically. Yeah. And, and and putting all of all of the uh, aspects of the production together, that's that's where I found great great joy and and my uh, skills for it. I was very honed in on the logistics. So essentially, that's that's where I built my career in the past. I mean, twenty twenty two years of uh, doing this in commercials. I started in commercials and music videos, and then worked my way into feature films, feature length films. Uh, lower budget and independent to start, but as the first assistant director and leaning into that role and nurturing my team and how a movie is, is shot out, um, has, has, uh, is, has taken me a long way. I mean, I get to do, I get to do a lot of really cool things and, 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 uh, and I want to get into that in, 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 in just a little bit because and yeah. I do, I really want to get into that. Let, 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 you, uh, another one that you had chosen and I'm, I must admit, I'm looking forward to hearing this again because it's I, I'm not as familiar with it. Uh, another uh, cue that you had chosen is uh, from the film uh, Gladiator, which was a huge hit, and and of course done by a composer that continues to this day to be extremely popular and prolific. Uh, that being Hans really? Zimmer, tell us a little bit about your uh, your love of this particular score and why you wanted to choose that one. I I feel like it was it was transcending. Uh, a, a millennium. I felt like this movie was, uh, you know, clearly, clearly it's time period and, and it's epic nature is something that, that spoke, it spoke to all of us. I mean, it was, it was quite a, a grand statement on uh, history and society. Um, so very well done movie that is complemented by this uh, generational millennial music that was brought to, brought to the forefront front of it. Uh, so I think Hans Zimmer in particularly is, is a composer I wanted to uh, highlight because he, he has such amazing work, but this, this one really transcended this transcended uh, time. And, and so uh, yeah, it, it's quite enjoyable. It's, it's memorable. I feel like when you hear it, you know what it's from. Yeah. And, and, and like all the ones that you've chosen today, this is another example of music elevating and enhancing the film. So it's a, it's a good example of that. Um, let's, uh, let's have a listen for ourselves. This again is from the film Gladiator and it's written by composer Hans Zimmer.
Okay, I, I don't want to assume. I, I mean, I think I know, but but for our listeners, maybe that don't. Can you explain to, to us what is an an assistant director? So does that makes that question make sense? Yeah, yeah it, it does. So you you basically have three directors on your the front lines of your movie set. Okay. The okay. one we're all very familiar with, of course, is the director, the creative vision of the project, right? Okay. And and this director could have incited the screenplay or written the screenplay as far as, you know, they're they're telling the story. They're the auteur of the, the film, okay? Um, while you have producers that own and nurture the, the best of this movie, they're doing it within the vision of this director. The director that works with performances, the director that's guiding how the story is told, okay? And, and essentially, there's three forms of writing. The screenplay, the directing to the eye is writing what we're going to capture, and then the post-production or the editing is all how the movie is comes together and is even, you know, uh, re retold. Okay. Uh, and, uh, so the director is, is seeing through this entire, uh, phase for what the vision of the film is. But in the production sense, you also have this director of photography, the director of photography, the cinematographer works with primarily their three crews, their camera crew, their lighting crew and their grip crew, which assemble how the film is captured and shot, whether it was on celluloid back in the day or whether it's now on, on digital at very high resolutions at four and five and eight K all, all of the above. What is the image? So what the direction of the image, that director, uh, and then you have the assistant director, or at least in the hierarchy of hierarchy of, making films on a, on a feature film. There's the first and there's a second, there's a key second assistant director. And then there's additional second, second assistant directors. There's the team that is assembled to direct the crew. And what we're directing is essentially everything gets where it needs to go on time and that it happened in a safe and effective and efficient and creative manner, but it's done in a manner that, uh, is logistically sound and that speaks to the scope of the movie. I mean, the logistics of the movie. So our director's team also expands into the backfield. The key second assistant director is kind of the hub of communication from what we're doing on the front lines to make sure that it's all brought up. Right. And then okay. the unit production manager, which is the line producer, the one that lines up all of the, the, the crew and the vendors and the locations works with the locations department. And so, so therefore we expand on the logistics of transportation, <laughs> all of the things that take place to make a movie. The assistant director is directing how we do that. That's a huge job, isn't it? I love it. And I love, <laughs> I love, I love how big it certainly can be because when we talk about what you're directing, you, of course you have a division of the creative vision so that the performances and the movie gets made in this creative manner, but then you also have to account for the logistics and you have to account for how is that directed? And that's what we do. And uh, yeah. it's, it's a great joy for me to contribute that to a movie set. 
And, and there are dozens of people, if not hundreds in some cases, that all need to come together to make all that work. You mentioned, uh, you talked about th- things like transportation and just moving props around and catering. And I mean, uh, it's mind-boggling if you haven't been on a film set before to see just what's involved in in making it all happen. (laughs) Truly Frank. And you you haven't even gotten into the art department yet. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious. um, Does one, does one have to become a, an assistant director before they can become a director or, or can you, I mean, I, I know there's been, I know there's been examples of like some big stars. I don't think they've been an AD before. They just kind of step into the director's chair directly. But for the most part, is, is that kind of the progression? You, you're an AD first and then you move into the director's chair. If you know, if you want to, I don't feel like there's um, a real correspondence with, being an assistant director and then moving into directing. Now, certainly there's aspirations. I feel like what we do is, is great and separate, but it is separate from what the director does. So not, not all directors, for instance, could or would be an assistant director. And then I think on on the opposite side of the spectrum, as an assistant director, I don't think you always come to the table with the skill sets that it is to, be the director now that makes sense there there i know i know people that have done it i know people that within their aspirations have moved into directing and they've done done so very well um sometimes there's a a route of being a second unit director (laughs) you know so you're 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 driving the second unit as a director i i I feel like if there's a, a project that i'm particularly passionate about i will uh i will consider it but i i'm gonna do it on my own on my own terms. I don't think it's going to be a matter of necessarily, uh, I don't think so. And a producer saying to me, Hey, by the way, why don't you uh, try directing? Um, I, <laughs> I feel, I feel like it's something I'll have to take on myself and something that, uh, I'll have to be again, passionate about, but for now I'm that really passionate sense. about being the best first assistant director I can be on a movie set. And, and I, I beam with pride for the work we do because we are really setting an enthusiastic and positive attitude to get some challenging work done. I mean, as you said, it's, it, it's, it's not always easy work. No. We're working longer hours. We're really striving oh. to bring this, this movie to life and do it on time and on budget and within the parameters and circumstances that we've been laid out. Um, so that in itself, the challenge is something I'm always very passionate about. So I, I, I take what I do seriously. And yet at the same time, I feel very fortunate to get to do what I do and uh, want to just, I keep, you know, sharing, sharing the love of, of making movies. And I do so in mentorship. I mentor at the American film Institute. I've done 30 plus their thesis, their graduate thesis films. Oh, wow. So I'm really, I, I, I love mentorship. I love guiding up and coming new filmmakers. I think that's why I gravitated towards, the Louisiana International Film Festival and Mentorship Program. Uh, right. I I think there's a lot to how we bring each other up. I think success is uh, is lateral. Actually, that's what Peter Guber told me. He told me that our success in this business is lateral. Peter Guber uh, is a former uh, Paramount Studios, Sony movie mogul producer. He's 
anyway, he, he mentored me at UCLA and he also told me that this business is all about egos and relationships. So, <laughs> so nurture them. So nurture yeah. them. To quote Peter. Good advice. Good advice. Good advice. And another, uh, another classic score you chose. Um, what a terrific film. And, and, and one of my favorite composers as well. We're ta- the film we're talking about is Back to the Future and the uh, composers, Alan uh, Silvestri. Tell us a little bit about your uh, thinking of choosing that amongst your favorites today. I think it's just one of those scores that, again, when you hear it, you hear the first couple notes of that score and you know what you're listening to. And it takes you, it takes you to that place, that place where you're watching that DeLorean you know, make the, the, the flame tracks down that, that parking lot. Uh, <laughs> or even just at the end when it gets up and flies into what the next movie is going to be. Uh, it's, it's such an incredible score that it takes you places. And Alan Silvestri has done so many amazing scores to the, some of the most iconic movies ever. But if you have to pin one, for him, I, I believe it is this. Uh, Forrest Gump was a very close second. I love oh. that as well. Yeah, I have and, a special place in my heart for that one. Truly. Um, but I chose Back to the Future, I think, clearly because it's so recognizable and so I- iconic. Um, so I'm happy I'm happy uh, you share that that joy with me. Oh, yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's have a listen for ourselves. This is, again, from the film Back to the Future, and it's written by composer Alan Silvestri.
We'll get back to our program in a minute. This program is done for the love of film and film music, plain and simple. However, it does take a huge investment in time and in fees for me to make the program work for you. I don't sell commercial time and don't really want to on this program. Rather, I'm kind of like a, a public broadcasting station. I need support from listeners like you. For as little as $3 a month, you can help me uh, offset the time spent in putting the program together. Or maybe you just think of it as leaving a tip in the tip jar. Either way, if you can join up, there will be bonuses, like an additional 10 to 15 minute segment with our guest every week, where we'll play additional cues as well as ask uh, some extra questions. And it's going to be only available to patrons. How do you sign up? Well, it's simple. You go to patreon.com slash what's the score, and that's all one word. That's Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash what's the score. Check it out. We'd be grateful for your support. That's Patreon.com. Talking about, uh, you know, you're moving around a lot and your interest in films and those sorts of things. Now, I'm kind of curious in your in your educational journey as you were getting into film and those sorts of things. Did what kind of successes did you what kind of successes did you have? Were, were you able to kind of uh, win a scholarship or some awards or something like that? I had very high aspirations, and this was what was propelling me out of North Dakota. But uh, when I when I finished my, my my thesis film at UCLA, it was the short fiction film program where one of six selected shorts were were uh, were picked to be shot. Um, that that film called The Lift. It was about a a corporate heaven and hell and how living our lives uh, for this moment was uh, of great importance. Type thing. Uh, cool little cool little movie that won me the pride of North Dakota award at the first Fargo film festival. Huh. And so it, it, this is in the year 2001. Now the film okay. was released in 2000, fall of 2000, but the award was in 2001. And it's great because the Fargo film festival has gone on to over 20 years now. Uh, and, and they, you know, they, there, it's kind of the, the, these roots where I get to keep going back to, I think even after I, I got out of, of college and finished this, this award-winning uh, film. Um, I, I wanted to bring another feature length production to North Dakota. So I pursued development. I pursued financing and production of this feature film. Uh, it didn't, it didn't work out. Uh, I think that in itself was a learning experience, but as I started working in the industry and, and uh, working on things that have won awards working, you know, uh, I, I, I'm actually proud to say I've won a, a Emmy for a PSA that I did uh, with a fellow Directors Guild of America uh, director and somebody I work with, associate. We we made this uh, Emmy award winning PSA, 
But I, I think awards and accolades do um, my heart justice. I think the the real, uh, you know, pride comes from the work that I've been able to do, how I've been able to facilitate to the success of productions, the people I get to work with and connect with, um, bringing, bringing uh, a sound atmosphere, like an atmosphere of, uh, you know, uh, productivity and, and, and enthusiasm versus, uh, you know, unfortunately there, there's sometimes a real harshness that comes to making movies and, and it, and it, it drives people, but that's not, that's never been my way. So I, I feel like connecting and, and, uh, bringing out the best in, in the cast and the crew is, is, uh, how we best serve a movie. So that's, that's what I'm mostly proud of is, is the career I, I've had. I've been in the director's guild of America for 11 years, 12 years now. Okay. And, and uh, I get I get to do elevated films with elevated directors, and uh, I get to uh, truly elevate my my team to do the best work we can do and do some really cool movies. Um, do you know what's interesting is that um, my wife was asking me the other day, and I was telling her this that <clears throat> one of the things that's actually after having had one or two experiences, my, in fact, my first major experiences talk about a major motion picture was the remake of magnificent seven. Oh and, yeah. And I, I was, you know, background, I, I wasn't a principal, but I did background for seven weeks on that. But the thing that really impressed me was I, I loved the culture and the atmosphere of working, working on, on, on a film set. Now the hours are really long and, and can be really difficult, but doggone it. The people are just, are, you know, you, you talk about the passion and energy and a uh, sense of humor of people and, how they get through the day and those, I just loved being around in that atmosphere. Is, does that make sense what I'm saying? Oh, hundred percent. And that's what we, that's what we thrive in. I, I, I got to tell you how, how we connect with all of our departments and how we coordinate and schedule and arrange for everything to be where it needs to be on, on time and, and, and in the, the right way. I mean, that's where, that's where you really have to rely and, and, and empower your departments we're empowering uh, the art department to make sure that the set is dressed and as it needs to be and that the props are where they need to be and that makeup, hair, and wardrobe and their department has everything in, in conjunction together as everyone's getting ready and being and being shot and moving on to the next scenes. And, and then you have people in locations like we talked about and transportation keeps the whole company moving. You have craft service and catering and production. You have the, the front lines and the on-set production assistance, and you have the backfield, which is the office. The office itself is a yeah. coordinated effort with, um, you know, I've, you know, clearly we're talking about spending and accounting and uh, all of the things that go into that. Uh, it, payroll. Uh, In other it, words, there's a reason why the end credits go on so long with all those names. <laughs> and, then, and then, Frank, don't get me started about everyone that came before that in – and again, the inception and production of this, you know, as far as uh, executive producers or, you know, their offices and staff, along with after the film has been shot and after, you know, the circus and the people and all the things you spoke of, when that's done, you have this amazing post-production experience where editorial has a staff and visual effects has a staff, titling mm -hmm. and graphics. And then you have sound and amazing sound design. Uh, you have mixing you have sound effects and then you are building that all into this amazing score which is recorded 
you know, it's, it's played and recorded in many, in many senses. So it's how, how are you bringing that to the movie? There's, there's all the finishing that goes into it with coloring and there's prints to be oh, made yeah. all the way down the line. Making a movie is in itself an industry. The production aspect of it, the second form of writing is the, uh, is the circus part. And I'm the, <laughs> the, 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 the really kind of excitable. I, I really love, uh, being the circus uh, master to these, these movie sets because we, we get them done with, with enthusiasm and, and creativity. And I feel uh, that that energy lends to uh, the success of the movie. So, yeah. And, and, yeah. and needless to be said, logistically, everyone feeling safe and comfortable and that we're on a movie set that is looking out for them and, and doing, making the right choices in, in health and safety and regard for, for the production. That's something I, yeah, I mean, you guys spend so much time together, actually sad, sad to be said, but you probably spend more time together as a film crew than you do with your family during that, during that shoot. And it's, you know, you can't help but Well, if you don't develop close relationships, it's going to be a nightmare. So you basically by and large, you develop close relationships. It's not hard to understand. Hundred percent, and and look, I'm commonly traveling for the movies that I'm making. I live in I live in Los Angeles and near Hollywood, and we, I, I mean, I'm making movies in New Mexico. I'm making movies in Louisiana, Tennessee, Georgia, I'm making movies in Massachusetts. This uh, great movie that just came out, I made in Boston, which is my wife's hometown. So it was really huh. great to be there with her family, and I was. I was on location for three months away from my family, but uh, wow. we made a great little movie. It's a romantic comedy called about fate. Okay. Okay. Check it out. It stars Emma Roberts and Thomas Mann. It's uh, it it's uh, it was a great little experience and we, we made the most of it yeah, in Boston yeah. with, a great, with a great crew in Boston. I got to tell you. So while I was one of the few people that came in, we utilized our wonderful local crew there. A lot of local talent. That's great. That's always yeah. good to hear. That's always good to hear. I, um, I, I love working in the Carolinas. I mean, get me back to working in the Charlotte area because uh, my I have a brother-in-law there. So it was cool that when when you go places, you also have family and friends and people that you connect with when you're on on that location. But like you said, I'm I'm when I'm away, I'm not even with my family. I would like to do more work in Los Angeles. I'd like to make more movies and television shows here. But when they take me far off places like Serbia or Colombia in a movie that took me to both of those places at the same time. Uh, I've made movies in Japan. I've made movies in Saipan. Um, so it, it, it takes you places, but you're definitely away and you, you dedicate your time to the craft for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Getting back, uh, getting back to the scores. Another one you chose what a powerful movie this was. Holy smokes. I'm talking about the film Braveheart, and it's written by composer James Horner, who unfortunately yeah. left us way too soon. Way too tell soon. me uh, tell me a little bit about your uh, choosing that one to be uh, listed amongst your favorites today. I, I don't think that I could do this show without mentioning the impact that composer James Horner had on the film industry and motion pictures the scores that he composed and award-winning um, th- this is, this for me is, is so uh, iconic of a score, but also that he, he really, he takes you there. He takes you to Scotland. He takes you to this time period 
with it. He invokes this spirit uh, of, uh, of of the story and, and of William Wallace. And I it just, I mean, by far one of my, my very favorite movies, but one of my favorite scores that, so I, I think it's exemplary of, of, of James Horner as, uh, as a composer. We, we could get into, you know, numerous other scores that he's done, but this one to me stands out and needs to be recognized and honored and uh, revered uh, for its, its uh, beauty and grandeur uh, and, and storytelling ability. All right. Well, let's have a listen for ourselves. This again is uh, from the film Braveheart and it's written by composer James Horner. Have you ever had the, the, and, and the answer may be no, and that's okay, but I'm kind of curious. Have, have you ever had the opportunity to have any input into the uh, uh, music, into the final mix of a film? Oh, I wish. Just hearing, <laughs> just hearing that moving score makes me, makes me just want to, and uh, I really, I really, I, I'm really passionate about music. Frank, it's it's something that has always been a big part of my life. Uh, my mom studied and sang opera. 
She's actually an ambassador to the Metropolitan Opera of New York because she brought oh, the wow. live broadcast to Bismarck, North Dakotas and the, and the Grand Theaters. So uh, we're trying to get more move, more more uh, art in beautiful movie theaters. Uh, but yeah, my, but my, I grew up with musicals. I grew up with cinema and movies. I, 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 I grew up with this real uh, great impact uh, that that music has on our life. It's just, it's, okay. a huge, it's a huge part of my life, but by all means, by all means, you either have your composer and somehow that's being worked out even while we're in production. Right. Yeah. Really? Like I, if what we're shooting is somehow being looked at by a composer and they're going through it. Great. But as far as my input goes, I don't think that there's ever a point where I, I could say, Hey, by the way, um, the, uh, the music in this scene could be this or, you know, I mean, I feel like I have a closest with the director to the point of us being able to share creative input, but I don't think I've ever had, uh, an, you know, any lasting kind of influence on the okay, music well, look, as, as the first assistant director. Actually, you know what, Frank? What? That's not correct. This movie that just came out called Coffee Wars, it stars Kate Nash and she's um, she's actually a singer. She's like a, a musician and a singer, but she became an actress. She was on the TV show Glow on Netflix. Okay. Um, she's the star of this movie. And, you know, she's riding this scooter up the street in one of our shots. And I swear they use it. She's singing the birthday song that I wrote. And she's, <laughs> she's, she's it's a good day. And she's singing it up the street. So that is one instance. I get one where my music actually influenced the movie. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. And let me ask yeah. you this. If you were in charge, let's say you were in charge. Is there, is there, it could be living or dead. Is there a composer you would like to have on your movie? And, and what, what would you tell this composer about what it is that you, uh, that you want them to do? I, I realize this, the content of the material might, you know, influence that, but just in general, how would you want them to approach the project? So who would you choose and how do you want them to approach the project? Well, first off, when you talk about like the context of the project, that's everything. That's who you would choose if, if, sure. if you really had a choice in it, but who, who would I really, really love to work with as a composer on my movie of choice? So for instance, even if, it's, maybe it's not the first movie, so to speak, but this is the dream composer, right, Frank? Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go with a non-composer, but he's a great musician, and I think he would compose a hell of a score, probably in the vein that other great musicians and singers and songwriters and guitarists have gone on to make scores. Um, I would love to work with Jack White. I huh. think he would do an exceptional job scoring a Western and making the music for a Western. Um I have a real soft spot in my heart for Westerns, as I'm sure you're aware by some of my score selections. Uh, right. But I, I do I do believe uh, Jack White would do just an exceptional job at scoring a movie, particularly a Western, if, if he was so uh, inclined to do so. He has He's not scored a movie as of yet, but that would be my dream composer. Okay. Well, I tell you what, that's a good segue into our your next choice. Uh, you want to know where you're going with this, Frank. Nah, the, uh, the film we're talking about is Once Upon a Time in the West, and it's written by the maestro Ennio Morricone. Tell uh, tell us a little bit about uh, 
maybe perhaps you already have, but you know, why was that one that you wanted to play today? And you Marconi is by far next to John Williams, the greatest movie composer of all time. And, and I don't want to take away from the greatness of other composers. I think Leonard Bernstein has a, a very serious spot in all of com- composing in general, but Ennio Marconi, what he brings to particularly Sergio Leone films is a, is a voice. I mean, and this particular score has these angelic voices that sing this hymn that is forever ingrained in our memory. And it takes us to this Western, this beautiful, amazing, epic, adventurous Western. I mean, I I just love this movie so much. And the score speaks to me. Um, Needless to be said, it's my favorite Sergio Leone and your Marconi collaboration, but a very close second is going to be once upon a time in America as well as, of course, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and Fistful of Dollars. Right. Well, let's have a listen for ourselves. Hands down, you're now talking about one song that just represents, (laughs) one song (laughs) that represents such a vast work. And I'm sorry to cut you off, Frank, but I love it. That's right. That's right. Yeah, let's, let's have a listen here. This is Once Upon a Time in the West, and it's written by the maestro Ennio Morricone.
you uh, you did a great job of explaining uh, your job and what you do and, and some other people that are behind the camera. So, but I am curious, what's, what's the most difficult part of your job? Difficult or challenging comes in, in various forms. Okay. Um, my process when I come on to a production is to first break down the shooting script. So I'm, I'm, I'm breaking it down into all these elements. I'm entering it into a database, a software program, and, and I'm, assembling, you know, out what each scene entails and who's in it, what, it, what props are they using? What's the set dressing? What's the effects? What, what are the diff- various elements? Um, and then what I do is I, I put that into a, a shooting schedule, a comprehensive shooting schedule. So this lays out by location and scene, how we're going to, how we're going to shoot the movie. Um, so from that point, when we're in pre-production and we're, communicating with all the departments on what they need uh, throughout this schedule, we then get onto the front lines of the movie. And what I do uh, there is I essentially direct us through five key points. And this, these are the five key points of a first assistant director. So you'll, you'll find difficulties or challenges that arise in each of these points, but essentially moving through them efficiently and effectively is what makes the movie. The first point is blocking. So now we're laying out the performers and we're blocking what this scene is and what we're going to shoot before the cameras, before the lights, but the set is dressed, the props are out, the crew is watching what the actors are doing and how the director is laying it out. Point number two, we're going to then dismiss the cast, make sure that they're ready in makeup, hair, and wardrobe. And we're going to give the set to camera grip and lighting. We're going to light up the set. We'll have second team or stand-ins come in. We're going to light to them. And point number three is when that's done, we bring them in for a rehearsal. It's very quiet. It's locked up. The set is controlled. And with the camera and the actors, we, we, again, we kind of lay it out. We make sure that everything's rehearsing just right. The camera move, the focus, everything as it, as it needs to be before we last look, which is point four. Last looks are makeup, hair, wardrobe, touches, any little touches we need or any resets. The set is exactly as it needs to be before pictures up. Point five, we're rolling. And this is AD time. This is where I can keep things very efficient and we don't need to belabor uh, time between the takes. You know, the director gives a quick adjustment. We're going again. Everything resets. Here we go. Roll sound. And we're shooting. And, and that's the process before we, you know, we, I get a good look from the director, the cinematographer. We check. It's not just checking a gate anymore, but we make sure that uh, everything is as it needed to be before we then move on, moving on. And we block the next shot. We line up the actors. They're already on set. We make sure it's lit. We bring them back. We rehearse it. We last look and we shoot. It's those five points that we persist in. Um, You can have challenges in a performance. You can have challenges in uh, a gag in how something's working on set or how something's being lit or shot. Um, we, we, we work in various things, whether it's stunts, whether it's, it's practical effects or um, even, you know, obviously firearms or explosions or water, right. underwater. we work, we work in fire we work in pyrotechnics. We work, we work in green screen environments where effects are put in later. 
We work in wind. We work in dust. We, we create whatever elements are necessary on that set, and we do so safely. And uh, while we might have difficulties or challenges, we make sure that it's, it's, uh, it's, it fits the vision of the movie and that it's done in the best way possible. You know, and, and, and all those things you list, for, for those that aren't familiar, this can take, this doesn't take like 10 minutes. I mean, you could be talking about a couple of hours to do all the five points that you just mentioned before a single frame of film or, or second of video is shot. Is that, is that safe to say? Well, that's what pre-production is. Pre-production is literally laying everything out, making the movie before it's made. And then as we get into it in production, we're, we're facing it. We're, we're actualizing it. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the next cue you chose has, has a special meaning to me. And I, and I'm, I'm going to, if you don't mind, let me indulge myself here a minute. Please do. Uh, the, the, the film we're talking about is American beauty. Now I'll tell you where I saw this for the first time. Uh, some people who are, know me or are familiar with me was that I actually, uh, my wife and I actually lived in Hong Kong for a while. I had an opportunity to take a job with my company in Hong Kong. And as part of a, what they call a pre-visit, they said, you know, come out for a few days, experience life to, you know, see what it's like. And, uh, you know, before you decide to come out, so one of the things we decided to do is, well, let's go see a movie. The movie we went to see was called American Beauty. Now, it was interesting. It was in English, but there were Chinese subtitles at the bottom. But as I was watching it, and for those of you who have seen the movie, you'll understand this. As I was watching it, I was thinking, oh, my God, do the people in this audience think this is really like normal Americana? I mean, I, I mean because it is kind of bizarre, you got to admit. And, I, you know, it was, it was a really weird experience thinking, geez, this is almost like embarrassing to think that this is a, a slice of American life. I mean, sure, there, I'm sure there are parts of it that are like that, but. You know, by and large, the movie was pretty wild. So anyway, that was that was one of the things that struck me. But another thing that struck me about the movie was the score. And uh, uh, as a result of that movie, I became a real fan of Thomas Newman, um, who was the person who wrote this. And so I am kind of curious, kind of tell me a little bit about your uh, decision for putting that amongst your favorites today. Not only does this score make the movie, but this movie even for me, like, like I think you were, you were saying it, it speaks very uh, loudly to uh, my evolution, my, my time. I think how movies had an impact on my life and my career, even um, huh. American beauty came out in 1999. It was a couple of years after I moved from Bismarck, North Dakota to Los Angeles. I was still in college and I was studying movies. So this was a study, uh, in, in in cinema for me. And this is a debut of a, a theatrical director, I think almost in the same vein as uh, Sam Mendes uh, was for uh, Mike Nichols when he went from stage to screen. And um, this movie really spoke to me. It's performances and it's writing. It's incredible screenwriting spoke to me. And, oh, yeah. and, uh, and the score... Um, again, is, is almost a voice into this, this tale of the story that's being told and, and these people, these It set the mood, didn't it? Truly. And I, I, I just uh, cannot help but be moved by what Thomas Newman does uh, I, I delicately in, in uh, cinema. So I wanted to represent that in, in our uh, selections as well. Okay. Well, let's have a listen for ourselves. This again, 
from the film American Beauty, and it's written by composer Thomas Newman. Some of the people that I think are, that are uh, potentially listening to this, I don't know, they, they might be interested in possibly getting into the business, if you will, and into the, the film or TV industry. So having uh, worked through the trials and tribulations of that yourself, I'm kind of curious what, and, and the fact that you mentor others, which I think is an important concept of this, but what advice would you have to those that are maybe interested in getting into this line of work? That's interesting. I, I, I feel like this is uh, something I, I'm also passionate about. I think there's a lot in our influence, our, our mentorship, 
on on the next generation of filmmakers. So it's something I've I've, I've always uh, taken a lot of pride in um, being able to encourage uh, the pursuits in this business. Um, and it is a it is a business. So I think that's one of the first things to understand is that what you're kind of working your your way into is something that hopefully you can thrive and survive in. So find something that you love doing and be the best at it. I feel like that's what success, the definition of success was for me growing up. So if you love it and you become the best at it, it's certainly something uh, that you'll, you'll thrive in. Um, I think you need to have a lot of persistence, particularly Mm -hmm. on the track of what you want. Uh, And, and, and I, I'd say if, if you want to be a, an auteur, a writer, a director, a producer, even there's a, there's a kind of a track that leads you there and you have to persist within that. And you certainly have to persevere. You have, you have to certainly last longer than everybody else. And I think you need to become an indispensable asset to the movie. That's something that I've aspired to. I want to, I want to be the go-to first assistant director. So to encourage even up and coming assistant directors that I, I've, I've worked with, I've mentored, I, I feel like that that's a, uh, that's key. Um, and, and if you have some patience and connection and, and kind of certainly within within a network, I think I said before, our success is lateral. So my success lends to your success and your success lends to my success. We work yeah. our way up together. Um, that's how we elevate each other and our projects that we work on. That's what we're looking to do. Um, and to keep doing it. Um, so it's kind of keep in touch. I mean, I think some of the greatest, uh, apprentice people that I've worked with that are up and coming in, in the world, uh, they keep in touch. I, I love it. I, and I've always said, don't be afraid to bug me. <laughs> so that's what, yeah. that's what we, uh, that's what we do. We, we nurture each other and we bug each other and we persist and I still I have friends of 20 plus years that I've known in this industry and they're pursuing their projects and we're doing it together. I, I actually I'm looking forward to going up to the Bay Area and shooting a, a, a short film, a little movie with a longtime friend of mine. He was actually he's such a good friend. He ordained our wedding. That's how. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've known him for 22 years. Uh, fantastic screenwriter. And he's going to be directing for the first time. So he got a Directors Guild of America waiver for me to fly up to Marin County and, and work on this little movie. And it's beautiful. Oh, neat, neat. You know, it, 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 what I'm hearing from you and, and I don't want this to come across the wrong way, but it, it, it strikes me that in equal portions to, to break into this business and, and to have some success in it, you need to have uh, equal parts competence, but, but also, um, relationships and networking. W- would that be safe to say in your view? Egos and relationships, Frank. I think that's. Well, yeah, theory. there you go. I'm, I'm getting back to Peter Goober's advice. It truly <laughs> is. Our connection. I mean, I want to go even further than just the industry or business, but like our, our human connection is of the utmost importance, but it's most so when we're talking about artistic endeavor, even artistic endeavor within a business. You need to connect with people. You need to make an influence, have an influence, have an impact. I hope that the movies that I get to do actually affect people or impact people. 
I mean, that's what I'm kind of got into this for. What I'm going into this with is that connection. So when we talk about a network to, who you know, yeah, but it's, it's on another level. It's that they know you, they remember you, you're, you're bringing something. I think when, when actors ask me, well, you know, what do I need to do? I'm like, bring something, bring energy, bring enthusiasm, bring, bring skill, bring capacity, like the capabilities and the experiences. I, I feel like I'm, I'm only good at what I do because I've done it for so long and I keep doing it. Yeah, yeah. So you have to keep doing it. You have to keep doing what you love doing and you're passionate about. Otherwise, well, what's the point? Um, I want to, I certainly want to invoke that spirit into my children as they're developing and growing into their own and what they want to do. Um, I, I feel the same of people that, that I can mentor and encourage in, in my industry. Yeah. The, um, moving on to the, uh, last cue we were going to play today. Now, and I, and I have to, I have to admit this is, uh, written by my, as my audience is well aware, written by my favorite composer, not, not even close. He's far and away above any of the others that we've talked about in my view, but I, you know, I understand everybody has different opinions. The, uh, the film we're talking about is dances with wolves and, and it's written by composer, John Barry. Tell me why you wanted to include that to today amongst your favorites. Oh, Frank, you, you, uh, you, you're, you're certainly speaking to me when you can, uh, bring out uh, the, the elegance and the, uh, the grace that John Barry brings to uh, a, a musical score of a movie. Um, it's just an exceptional track and theme. Uh, I, I feel like it, it's, it's getting so memorable and recognizable. You can't help but uh, highlight this amazing score. Um, I, I feel like in the great, in in the spirit of the great composers, um, Hans Zimmer, or or uh, you know, as as we talked about James Horner, they almost in, invoke the spirit of uh, of the time period, and John Barry does that exceptionally in Dances with Wolves, which is is, is a phenomenal film. Uh, Kevin Costner is the ultimate auteur of this film the story and the time period and the, and the territory. I mean, this is the Dakota territory. So it almost speaks to my heart and soul. Um, yeah, yeah. I didn't even thought of that angle. Yeah. yeah. The, right. the, Laco- the Lakota Sioux, which are, are, are the, the, the featured uh, natives in, in this, in this beautiful movie and the cinematography of this movie, um, the landscape and the, and the bison in the, in the, the great plains, uh, this is almost where I feel like my, my heart is in North Dakota and wanting to make a movie someday in North Dakota. Actually, I've made a movie in North Dakota. I want to make a, a, a Western period and, and Dances with Wolves is that inspiration. And, and John Barry is the score to that inspiration. Yeah, quite, quite a directorial debut, to say the least. Um, let's, uh, let's have a listen for ourselves. And this is from the film. Dances with Wolves, and it's written by composer John Barry.
So good. Jay- yeah. Jason, uh, for so those good. people that so would good, like, I'm sorry. That's that score is so moving and recognizable and, and, uh, iconic. It, it, yeah, it is. I mean, it's, 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 uh, many of his fans kind of consider it his masterpiece and it's perhaps you don't know this, but this was after he was like in the hospital for over a year and a half with a ruptured esophagus and he was, he was, wasn't working. And this was his first piece of work after he uh, got well. And so it's a, you know, it's a very emotional piece for him. I, I, when he accepted the Oscar, he didn't thank, you know, the producers or director or anything like that. He thanked the three doctors that saved his life, basically. Really an incredible story yeah, uh, yeah. Of, of endurance. Uh, this, this whole movie almost is a feat in itself, but uh, John, John Barry's masterpiece. Yeah, yeah, it truly is. Um, Jason, for those people that would uh, like to kind of follow along with what you've got going on and uh, projects that you're working on and those sorts of things, or do you have a, a presence on social media or ways that people can kind of stay in touch with you? I'm on social media. I'm a, I'm a, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I, I don't do uh, Twitter or TikTok, um, but I, I definitely like communicating and being in touch with people. If, if they have uh, passion and, and uh, I don't know, just kind of the, the means to, to, to connect. Uh, I, I, that's, that's, that's where I come from. I, I come from uh, a place that connects with people. So if, if there's, if there's a connection out there, somebody that has an aspiration for making a movie, maybe, maybe they want to be in touch or just a love for movies and music. That's, I think what we're, we're all here for, Frank. I really look forward to being in touch with you and I, I feel Same. like, I mean, you know, Facebook kind of keeps us in that loop. I've been able to keep up with what you've been doing and you get to keep up with what, I, what I'm doing. Same, uh, yeah. And, and, and we, we share in that. And we shared in that with the Louisiana International Film Festival and mentorship program for the run it had in Baton Rouge. But we also share in that in the future and, and where we take it from here, where we take this podcast. I'm really looking forward to uh, this, this podcast with you and, and that, you know, people can, can hear our insight into music and, and films and life and the industry. And that, that's where, uh, that's where your magic is, Frank. Well, I hope so. Listen, it's, it's been, it's been a delight reconnecting with you and, and, and also hearing not only your love of film and film musics, but also your insight into the industry and the work that you do and, and obviously sharing your passion and those sorts of things. I I've enjoyed, uh, I've enjoyed hearing that and, and I hope you've enjoyed the experience as well. This has been the best podcast experience I've ever had. I, I ah, take to, note, folks. I don't get to do this very often, but I'm putting you at the very top, Frank. I appreciate that very much. Well, listen, uh, insight and preparedness, and uh, yeah, this this has been exciting. So, really, to be continued. Uh, be in touch, and and uh, let's 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 keep putting that love into the world. No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I hope all of you will. Uh, join me in thanking our guest Jason Allen for joining us today and also for those of you that are uh, uh, patrons on our patreon.com account we'll have a short bonus episode with Jason here that you can listen to uh, that we'll post shortly after we uh, post this episode today and to all of you uh, that listen to the program we appreciate your support wherever you happen to listen to it if you wouldn't mind clicking like and leaving a comment we do appreciate that as well 
So uh, I guess with that, there's only one thing left to say, and that's simply this, that my name's Frank R. Wilson. My time's up. I thank you for yours. Thanks for listening to What's the Score?